Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dennis Hall. I'm the assistant pastor here at College Hill Presbyterian Church and just want to welcome everyone here. If you're visiting with us as a guest or a regular tender or our members, our covenant partners, just want to welcome you. And also just remind you just how much God loves you. He loves you so much. As, uh, as we were worshiping, the Lord just reminded me to remind you how much he loves you. I, uh, I used to give this illustration, I'll give it, of when my firstborn, Joshua, uh, was little. You know, I was so enamored with having a son. And I would come home and, you know, he would, like, say, Dad. And he would have a dirty diaper. <laughs> and uh, it, it would stink. But I was so in love with my son that I didn't care. And I was so happy to see him, you know, because he was excited to see me. And I would embrace him, dirty diaper and all. And that's how much God loves us. That even while we were yet sinners, he died. But then I love my son so much because I know that dirty diapers causes rashes and other kinds of infections. So I would change his diaper. In the same way God loves us. He doesn't want us to remain the same. And he, by his blood, changes our diapers and embraces the ongoing stuff that we do and commit. So before I even start my sermon and my tears, know that God loves you. I think that's the greatest, most profound thing for the people of God. Is not so much that we love him, but that he loves us. Wow. Okay, now for the sermon. <laughs> um, we're doing a series on heroes, and I get to pick my favorite hero of the Bible, David. Woo! You know, he's a worshiper, and... David is also unique because he, as a young man, was overlooked. And, you know, he was just an ordinary kid. Uh, the youngest of eight brothers that, as we see in Scripture, um, that he was overlooked. But God often overlooks folks that are... God will pick out folks that are often overlooked for his purposes. Never think that because all the things you do get unnoticed, that all the sacrifice and all the things you do in the kingdom doesn't get applauded. Don't think that God has forgotten you. Though man may overlook God, has a purpose in you watching your sheep. 
I do want to commend, are there any veterans in the house? We're talking about heroes. Would you please stand? Can we just... Thank you so much. We don't uh, pretend, you know, we don't want to be trite, but we do appreciate those who uh, give of themselves for others. Isn't that the definition of a hero? Those who sacrifice with courage uh, all for the benefit of others. And so our veterans, we thank you. I am a son of a World War II veteran, and my father was one of the of 165 blacks that was meddled, even though a lot more deserved to be meddled, my father was one of the ones that was, and thanks to my son Caleb, who was doing a history uh, paper, found out that my father, his grandfather, was meddled as a World War II veteran. So we just thank all of our heroes uh, who served in the military for your service. But also, I want to ask you a question. How many of you believe that you're a hero? Raise your hand. I mean, very few of you raised your hand. I'm here to convince you this morning, I believe God sent me, to convince you that you are his heroes. I know this is dating myself, and some of you might have seen it on reruns or Nick at Night, but have you ever seen Hogan's Heroes? Love that when I was growing up. And for those of you who don't know this sitcom of Hogan's Heroes, it's about these World War II veterans, uh, prisoners of war, and they were in a, a, a German camp. And it was a comedy. I mean, they were misfits. You know, they, they seemed really clumsy. They seemed really ignorant. But really, in reality, they were in stealth, and they were being spies, and they were actually working on behalf of our allies. In the same way, believe it or not, God has, I'm not calling you misfits, but God has his motley crew here in this neighborhood, here in this city, on this planet, and you're his heroes. Believe it. We don't always act like it. We fumble around and, and make mistakes. But he intentionally, purposely, sovereignly calls us his heroes. We're going to look at David. If you would turn with me to 1 Samuel 17, 48 through 58. That will be our text. And as you're finding that, let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you, Lord, that you are an amazing God whom you yourself became a hero by sending your Son. Lord, we pray, God, that you would open our ears, open our hearts. God, open our minds to all that you would want us to hear today. And Lord, not only open by your Spirit, but empowered by your Spirit, that we not only be hearers of your Word, but doers of your Word. Lord, that you will be glorified through your heroes right here at College Hill Presbyterian Church. And Lord, may the meditation of my heart be acceptable. 
in your sight. May the words of my mouth bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Samuel 17, verses 48. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, we all know this story, David and Goliath, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he, and he fell face down on the ground. Woo, go David! So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, striking down the Philistine and killing him. There was no sword in David's hand. That's the miraculous part. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine. He grasped his sword, drew it out of his sheath, and killed him. So he took Goliath's sword. Then he cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The troops of Israel and Judah rose up with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way for Shamraim as far as Gath and Ekron. The Israelites came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. I mean, they took all their stuff. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? Whose son is this young man? Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. The king said, inquire whose son this stripling is. On David's return from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. This is God's word. Amen. We're, uh, today we're going to talk about how God uses ordinary, seemingly insignificant people for extraordinary things and causes those folks to be courageous and, and do great exploits. And we're going to talk about seven, seven points and seven observations that we see in David, how he, an ordinary young man, when used by God, becomes extraordinary. Our first point is that God's heroes are just ordinary people, just like us, the only difference is that anointed and appointed for extraordinary service. We want to go back to when David was just tending his sheep and Samuel was called to anoint the next king of Israel. And so Saul was told to go to the, um, Samuel was told to go to the house of Jesse and to anoint the next king. So Samuel gets there. And he asks Jesse for his sons, and Jesse only brings out seven. And he leaves David, the young shepherd boy, tending the sheep. Do we have that scripture? So we have it there. And so the first point is a lot of times folks are overlooked, 
you know, folks may not be the, look the best or be the strongest or be the tallest or the best looking or, or even our society, it might be because of their skin color that they are overlooked or ignored. Well, God is here to remind you that he often chooses those folks for his glory. He often chooses those that to the world may seem insignificant that are overlooked, that are forgotten. And he will use them not so much to show how strong or beautiful they are, but actually to show how strong he is. I was one of those folks when I was younger. I wasn't always picked first when we were playing a sports game. You know, if we were playing basketball or playing tag or, or, or something that, that needed a team, I was always like one of the last ones. But when it came to tug of war, I was like the first one. That's your mind, do the. <laughs> I was just a little chubby, and you know they thought they would have a good anchor, so I was I was chosen first then. But look at the irony and the anointing of God, because now I have a son that just might be on the Olympic soccer team, and other children that excel in sports and academics. Who knows what God could be doing when you're overlooked? I guess we got a lot of folk in here that just were always the first pit. <laughs> but God anointing, he anoints for a purpose. We see that David was, though overlooked by his own family, he was picked by God. And he was anointed. In the same way, we don't know why, we don't know how, we don't understand the sovereignty of God and his election. But wow, God chose us out of trillions. God chooses us. And all of us here are anointed. The same anointing that fell on David is in us. I mean, do you believe it? The same anointing that empowered David empowers us. See, the word anointing, I think some of us get turned off from it because it's been used, I think, often maybe in some circles that says that you're able to fly over cars and all that type of... Anointing is really just saying that God is with us, God is for us, and God is in us. See, it comes from an Old Testament act of they would rub oil on animals in, in order to kill the diseases. And it became a medicinal usage in humans. And then it started to signify when God, a uh, symbol or a, a uh, sign, not symbol, sign, that God's presence, because they would anoint with oil. And even the last name of Jesus, Christ, Christos, is the word for anointing. So Jesus, the anointed one. So it's 
all it's saying, and it's not all it's saying, but it's saying that as anointed people, we have the presence of God. Now, that is just not something to be lightly said. It is something that is to be lived. So I think a lot of us, we know a lot of good Bible knowledge. We know scriptures, and we know that we're anointed. We know God's Spirit resides in us. But there's a difference of knowing and actually a difference of being aware. And I want to give you an illustration. How many of you have ever got a speeding ticket? How many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket, yet you didn't know that you were speeding? See, this has happened to me. I actually knew that the speed limit was either 65 or 70. Yet because either I was maybe talking to my kids or, or my kids accused me of texting or, or listening to my podcast, the car was actually going 85. Serious. And, you know, you don't always know it because you're occupied with other things. And so though I knew the speed limit was 70, in reality, I was actually going 85. That's how you can know something, not actually live it. Many of us know that we're anointed, but when the issues of life come, when things come in our life, and, and it's difficult, do we really live out that God is with us, that God is for us, and that God is in us? If you're anything like me, you often forget. Because the knee-jerk, gut, human thing to do is maybe say an expletive or to go into the fear mode. And often it doesn't happen that you even remember God is in your life until, I don't know, an hour, two hours later. And in that you might say, oh, why is God like allow this to happen to me? The point is, we are all anointed. We may not live in it. We may not be aware. But the fact is, and you know it, you are anointed. And God anoints you for a purpose. His purpose. His destiny. And so that's the foundation of this message today. And after this, I'm going to go faster. But know that you are anointed. You've been sovereignly appointed for His purposes. I don't care what state you're in. I don't care even if you can't even think you are brain dead. You have still been anointed for his purpose. To do extraordinary things for him. Our number two is God's, hero, God's heroes have ordinary lives that are divinely interrupted. See, this is where the number one comes in. See, David was minding his business, herding his sheep. And that's another point. Just think, he was anointed and herding sheep. Some of us, we get anointed and we want a new job. Yeah. Some of us, 
on our road, we get used to what we're doing. We get used to the plans we laid for our lives. We get used to our, our treatment plans. And if we see anything about a hero, heroes' lives are often interrupted, always interrupted. And we see David. David is tending the sheep, and he's called by his dad to go see about his brothers. We've seen this before in Genesis when Joseph was called by his brothers. We see what happened to him. Is God will often allow interruptions in our lives, in our anointed lives. But the question is, what do we do with the interruptions? How do we handle the detours of our lives? Do we look at the detours as a derailment, or or do we look at the details as a divine appointment? What is it like when you're working on something important and someone knocks on your door and they need some help and you're like, oh, you're, you're, you're bothering me. You're... How do we handle the interruptions? See, this is where the anointing comes in. See, because when you're anointed, you're so God-focused. You're like, oh, this has to be something that God allowed. Oh, this accident has to be something that God knew about. Oh, this sickness has to be something that God even ordained. Oh, whatever is happening in my life, God knew it. God is with me. God is for me. And God is in me. That's walking in the anointing. There's many of us here that have experienced tragedy in our lives. It's derailed us. It's gotten us off course. We've had to change locations. We've had to change jobs. We've had to change relationships. What do we do in the interruption? How do we deal with the things that come at us in life? Do we sit and pout? Do we say, oh, God, why are you doing this to me? Oh, God, what am I going to do next? Are we just sit, sitting derailed? Or are we looking at it as a detour to our divine appointment? Trusting the anointing. You see, David knew who he was. And he knew who God was. Some of us right now are sitting in these seats derailed. It didn't go the way it was supposed to. And now you're sitting on your anointing. You're sitting on the purpose. Hey, God. He didn't mean for his church just to meet once a week. You've been anointed for his purpose. But there's been a derailment. There's been an interruption. And this is no joking matter. It could be a spouse has died. It could be an unwanted pregnancy. It could be someone talked to you wrong. It could be going through midlife crisis and you're just not sad. Whatever it is, you are sitting here derailed. And you're coming every Sunday, but you're not 
walking in the anointing and the purpose of your destiny. God has given us the example of David. There's great things that happen on the detours of our lives. Number three, God's heroes are faced with a cause. So the interruption is going to take us places that we hadn't planned to go. It's going to take us on a detour that we hadn't planned to go. Who in the world would have thought that Dennis would end up in Cincinnati? I know y'all love Skyline Chili. I know we brag about the wonderful things here in the city, you know, and I love downtown. But this was not my choice. Oh, y'all. When I was in law school, I was going to be an international lawyer. I took Arabic because I was going to minister overseas as a tip maker. Oh, but don't you know that God will interrupt your life for his divine purpose. God will place things in your life that will get you on another course. And as you're there embracing his interruption, you'll come across the cause. See, a cause is a phenomenon where there is reaction when something's not right. <laughs> see, see, David, as he was taking his brothers the greeting or whatever he was bringing to them, he overheard, if you can put the scripture up, he overheard the Philistine making fun of God's church. David overheard the Philistine taunting God. And something rose up in him. Something he said ain't right. <laughs> this is God's people. This is the same God that said to us that when, they say the, that when nations say the name of Israel, they should tremble. And here, this Goliath has been there 40 days, and he's taunting these men of war. We are God's people. So David sees that there's a cause. College Hill Presbyterian Church, what is our cause? What is the detour, the interruption that happened to this vibrant church in the 80s when there were thousands and people still brag about it today. What was the detour, the interruption that brought us to this place? What cause are we looking at now? Could it be that Pleasant Hill, a school in our neighborhood, has over 90% of their students below the poverty rate, which also impacts they're academics. It's an underachieving score, a school. Does it mean, is, or is the cause about our neighborhood? When I looked up the stats, that we have two times the nation's rate of property crimes in College Hill. Could the cause be that Racism is at its highest that has been in years, the overt act 
Could it be that men are still, black men are still being pulled over for no reason, no probable cause, and then they're shot when they don't have a weapon? Could that be the cause? Or could the cause be that there's still abortions going on in this community, in this city, and we have a, a crisis pregnancy that still needs money, that still needs volunteers? Is that the cause? For some reason, in his sovereignty, God detoured this church. He interrupted this church, and he presented us in a place where we are right now. And he's asking us, is there a cause? Is there something that we know just ain't right? Or do we just come every Sunday and roll up our windows and do our pleasantries and pretend that the world is doing really good. That College Hill is really okay to be separated by blacks and whites. That it's really okay that a certain part of Hamilton Avenue where the black businesses are looks crummy and the parts where the white businesses are look good. They're just all right. Oh, I know I'm preaching. Because God is about real life. <laughs> God is about the detours and the anointing of his people. So do we, like the rest of Israel, do we cower and we just say nothing's wrong and we run away from the issues? Is that God's impotent church? See, Goliath was making fun of God. So this is who your God is? For 40 days, I've been out taunting and making fun of, look at all these things that are going on, and all you're going to do is just go and present yourselves, yet not fight me? Is there not a cause? Isn't there something to do more than just sit on Sundays? Isn't there something more that we were created for? Isn't there something more that we were anointed for? Don't we really know and walk in that God is with us, that God is for us, and that God is in us? Is really the crime here bigger than God? Is that Goliath really bigger than God? Are the issues that are going on around us, are they really that big? Or do we need a thousand people? Do we really? Do we need swords, guns, and churches? Do we really need? Oh, Goliath is taunting. Goliath is he's screaming. Is there not a cause? Our fourth, as David, a young teenager in faith, 
says, oh, no, no, this isn't right. That uncircumcised Philistine is defaming God. He's defaming the people of God. Don't you know who we are? So David is wanting, he's asking questions. He's wanting to take a stand. So we see the first thing that God's heroes will encounter is opposition. Come on, when we start really walking in our anointing, walking in the authority, come on, Church of America, when America really starts and gets out of bed with government and gets out of bed of the Republican Party and gets out of bed of the Democratic Party and starts being the prophetic voice, the biblical things of God, do you really think there will be no opposition for the church? Do you really believe if we really stood for justice and equality and an egalitarian form of government, do you really think the church God promises there will be opposition when we walk in the anointing, when we are on the cause of confronting those things that he so dearly wants us to be a part. There will be opposition. David's brother, Eliab, he says, David, can you show the scripture? David, what are you doing? I mean, he literally got angry. He literally started calling David names. He started accusing. How many of you know that the devil is the accuser of the brethren? I'm telling you, when you try to walk with God, see, there might be people here that are struggling with something and may have done something even last night or the day before, and the enemy will come and say, you have no right to be in church. You have no right to be uh, working for God. You have no right to do this and that. That's the accuser of the brother. That's what Eliab tried to do with David. And you know what? Eliab was just working out of his own insecurities. Because here he was a man sent off to be a warrior, and he's running from Goliath. Yet a teenage boy saying, I'm going to come against Goliath in the name of the Lord. So Eliab accuses him and mocks him. But the beautiful thing, and this is, I believe, what God is calling his church to do, even the voices that come from within, David turns away from his brother. When accusations come against us and we know that we're doing right, we know that we're standing for justice, when people demean us because of the association that we have with sinners, when people come at us and attack us, all we have to do is look at the God that is greater, the anointing that is greater than the opposition that comes against. And God says, turn away. It says, David turned and started talking to the other men. Have you ever had an issue and you're talking on the phone to customer service and they're not even listening? They already got their agenda. But have you ever said, can I speak to, this, uh, to the supervisor? <laughs> you have no power anyways. You have no... I, I need to talk to someone that can really listen, that can really help. That's... With God's people, we have a supervisor that we turn on the opposition that's even before us and in us, and we go to God. 
God's heroes will encounter opposition. How many of our veterans that fought in wars didn't have an opposition? When you're a hero and you put yourself out for someone else, it's at risk for your own life. But we've been anointed. Our big brother Jesus, in the inauguration of his ministry, he says in Luke 4, I am anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to release the captive, to open the eyes of the blind. Do you know that same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that was the inauguration of his ministry, is the same anointing that is with us. Releasing the captive. How many captives are in our neighborhood? But the opposition is there. Even the ones that we go and help might be the very ones that cuss us out. Oh, see, dog, this ain't my first rodeo. I've been in an urban ministry before, and I've been out there. I've been out trying to share the gospel, trying to share love, and having people to close the door in your face, having people to talk about you, having people not to appreciate. Here David was trying to go and help, and he's being cussed at. So is that supposed to mean because somebody calls me a racist, I'm not going to help you? Oh, I'm, I'm at home. Does that mean because someone says uh, you hate our homosexuals, then I'm not going to go and love you? I got the anointing. My call, it comes from he that is in me, with me, and for me. I'm going to love you. Oh, come on, church. He didn't call us to raise up arms and swords and, and spears and to fight these groups with their warfare. He called us to walk into their camp with anointing. My God. <laughs> oh, I know I'm preaching. Because it's real. Five, God's heroes act by faith and confronts doubt. If you put that scripture up. So Saul hears about David's courageousness and he asked for him. And then Saul, he was truthful. He wasn't trying to demean David. He said, how are you going to confront this big giant? This, first of all, you're a teenager. Second of all, Goliath is big. And third of all, Goliath was trained in war. You're just a shepherd. How are you going? I mean, so it's true. I'm not trying to say we here at our church that we don't have small numbers. I'm not trying to say that we don't struggle um, with our budget. I'm not trying to say all that. Those are realities. Oh, but what I am trying to say, like David said, he pulled back the faith file. How many of you know, those of you who have been here all these years, God, I haven't had you here all these years to see stuff and to hear stuff. He's had you here to record the miracles. Do you know College Hill Presbyterian Church has a ton of miracles, testimonies, 
So you're supposed to go back and say, oh, if God was with us in the 40s, if God was with us in the 60s, if God was with us in the 70s, it may not look like it looks like now, but he's still with us. Don't you know we're small, but God has an assignment because we're anointed? Oh, I'm not talking about just knowing it. I'm talking about being it. Oh, church, there's too much Goliath out there taunting the church because we seem to be impotent. We can spend all the time on worship and arguing and all these kind of things and we're not in the community declaring the glory of God. We talk about how reformed we are. Being reformed is honoring the glory of God. And that it ain't about me, it's all about Him. Let's not just know it, let's walk in it. We are the church triumphant. Jesus said the gates of hate would not prevail against us. That's not a church sitting down, that's a church on the move. Look it up in the Greek. David confronts the doubt by recalling what God has done. Church, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I can be having a little problem, and I'll look back and I think about, man, I was in Pakistan. Them jokers were shooting guns. I was put on a hit list. I was in a motorcycle accident. I had two brain hemorrhages. Don't tell me I don't serve a great God. You're going to come up against me? It ain't until God says you can have me that you can have me. Oh, we serve a great God. We're anointed and appointed. Six, God's heroes are equipped and uses their ability given. Real quick. David was offered to use Saul's armor. He just used his sling and his staff. You don't have to copy anybody else's anointing. You don't have to preach like T.D. Jakes. You don't have to be a Billy Graham. You don't have to be your favorite spiritual hero. God has called you to be you. You are anointed even if you just iron clothes. You better iron them real good. You better iron them in the power of God that he is with you, he's for you, and he's in you. Oh, come on, somebody. Ain't nothing like getting a shirt that's been ironed by someone who's filled with God. I'm telling you. Ain't no telling how your day's going to be. <laughs> God uses the ordinary. We don't have to look all great. We don't have to have a thousand folks. He uses us just as we are. We don't have to raise no more money. <laughs> and I'm not saying that money isn't necessary. I'm not saying the budget isn't necessary. I'm not saying all the things that we need for ministry aren't. What I'm saying is we have to walk in the anointing and know who's the Lord of them all. He will give us what we need. Didn't he give David what he needed? He didn't need the armor. He didn't need the spear. He didn't need the sword. He just needed his sling. He was trained as a shepherd. God will use what you got. 
And you know what? He gets the glory. See, when you got the big numbers and you got the big money, yeah, the world say, yeah, of course you can do that. You can do that because you got all the... Oh, it just makes sense. You know, the more you got, the more you... Oh, but when you got the small numbers, like Gideon's army, and you still beat the Philistines, my God, what a day of rejoicing because we get to give glory to God. Let's be a church that's not so concerned about how we look, but about the anointing and who he is. Last one, God's heroes don't run away from the threat, they run to it. It's one of my favorite parts. David, when he was with Goliath, he didn't run from him, he ran to him. I love that. This little teenager, this little 16, 15-year-old, runs to this nine-foot giant with only a sling. We don't run away from the issues of our day. We don't run away from racism. We don't run away from the fact that they're still killing babies. It's not just a topic during the elections. We don't run away from the Goliaths. We go to them. Not that God is calling us, you know, we can't do it all on our own, but God has his puzzles. And as we do our part, as we use our sling, as, as, as we use what we have, God have others that are using theirs that the kingdom might come as it is in heaven. We don't run. We go towards. If you do me a favor, I'm way out of time. Look to your neighbor and say, you are a hero. Come on and mean it. You don't know what that person has been through. You don't know what that person has encountered. You don't know what that person struggles with. Oh, but thank God they're here. Thank God they are here to receive from God that they might be sent out. You are sitting next to a hero, courageous, anointed. Is there a cause? There is, and we are anointed that we might defeat the giant. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you are the one that equips and you're the one that conquers. Thank you for the example of David. Lord, thank you, God, that your word would not return void. But, Lord, it will accomplish all that you set it out to do. Thank you, God, that you anointed us. Lord, it is so hard to even fathom, God, that you are with us. You're for us. And God, you are in us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Thank you, God, that you open our eyes to see the cause. Thank you that this church is still here. This church could have fled. But we're still here in the fight, facing the Goliaths under the anointing. We commit ourselves anew to you.
fresh anointing for your glory.